0: Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already done in this house today. Thank you for what you're going to continue to do. God, I don't believe you're done today. I believe you got great things that you want to do in somebody's life, somebody's heart. God, I believe you want to release the miraculous in this place today. I believe you want to have somebody's life forever changed by the power of your word, the power of your spirit today, God. God, we give you glory give you one, or somebody just released a little faith in this house right now. God, I give you glory and praise. I come with expectation for what you're going to do these next few moments. To God be the glory. Thank you for every person you're going to bless, strengthen, and help right now, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. With your help, most importantly with the help of the Lord, we're going to endeavor today to preach on radical faith. Somebody say radical faith. Come on, how many just just by the title? Don't that already sound? Can you just give the Lord a praise for what he's going to do in this house today? We love you, Jesus. We praise and worship you today, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. There is a interesting story told in the gospel according to to Mark, which is the gospel we will focus on today and the telling of it. The Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples had been out ministering. Now they were making their way to a city by the name of Capernaum. What we need to know and understand is that oftentimes you will find Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum and there was a reason for that. He used this city of Capernaum somewhat as a base of operations for his ministry. And he would kind of go out from Capernaum. And the reason he did is because one of his disciples by the name of Peter had a house in Capernaum. And they would stay, Commentary, uh, tell, commentaries tell us that they would stay at this house. The Bible says Jesus didn't even have his own house. I mean, knew that. Jesus didn't even have his own house. And so uh, in order to stay, he would stay here with one of his disciples in in their home in Capernaum. And so he would kind of use this as a base. And and so here he is now. Just kind of get the picture as I set this up. Jesus and his disciples, they're in this home. And uh, word begins to get out, filter out through the city of Capernaum that Jesus is in this house. And the Bible says that a great crowd of people began to make their way to this house where Jesus is. So many people, in fact, here at Peter's house, that the Bible records that there was not even room about the door. And when you study that out, you, you'll see that it's actually referring to the courtyard. So you kind of had the house portion, and then you had this courtyard area. And so the house was completely filled with people. The courtyard was completely Filled with people. The house was full. There was nowhere else for anybody to enter into the home. And yet, there were a group of friends, no doubt, who had another friend who was paralyzed. Couldn't walk, couldn't move. In fact, everywhere he would ever go, he would have to be carried no doubt by his friends or family members on a cot, a stretcher of sorts to anywhere that he would go. The Bible tells us that these friends carried this man, this other friend to the house where Jesus was, no doubt in faith that Jesus could heal their friend. Can I just stop long enough and tell somebody, Our friends aren't going to meet Jesus unless we introduce them to him. The only way that friend ever gets to Jesus is if he had another friend that brought him to Jesus. They're probably not going to get there. Your friends and family members are not going to be introduced to Jesus probably on their own. How many know we have a responsibility It's called the Great Commission. How many know we've got a responsibility to introduce our friends to the Savior of their life? How many know the answer to every problem is Jesus? How many know the answer to every question is Jesus? The answer to every pain is Jesus? Our friends need to be introduced to the answer. But the only way they're going to be introduced is if they have a friend that will do so. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Amen. So it is that they brought their friend to where Jesus was. But it was very quickly that they understood and realized that they could not. There's at least four of them, no doubt. Four sides of the stretcher, at least that's how I picture it. The friend, it's, it's you know, a stretcher, whatever. There's a, it's, it's a lot of people and it's wide and, and the house is packed shoulder to shoulder. They very quickly realize we can't get into this house. Now just stay with me now for a moment. Think with me. They could not find a logical, acceptable, practical way to get their friend to where Jesus was. That's where we pick up the story and our text for today because the Bible says this, Mark chapter 2 and verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him, when these friends with the stretcher could not get close to Jesus because of the press, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, the roof, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, if you've been in church a little while, you've heard the story, no doubt. Maybe this is your first time hearing the story. But I, I quickly want to look at this particular part of the story from two different perspectives. First off, I want to look at it from Peter's perspective. The owner of the house perspective. <laughs> Whose roof is being ripped off. Perspective. By complete and total strangers. Remember, it wasn't like Jesus said, Hey, go ahead and you know, if, if Jesus would have told him to do it, Peter, that's fine. Jesus doesn't say a word. We we don't see it recorded anywhere. Complete and total strangers are tearing off his roof. Remember now, this is where he and his family slept. This is where they ate their meals together. This is where their most intimate and precious moments as a family took place. And now complete strangers with a need are tearing apart his personal possessions. Now, think about this from a human perspective. Peter was a human. Peter had human emotions like all of us. I am sure there was a moment, Pastor Eli, I'm sure there was a moment when he may have been like, uh, I'm sure there was a moment when he may have wanted to have stopped them from tearing his roof off. And yet what we find in the story is that Peter cared more about the ministry of Jesus than he did his own personal possessions. Come on, somebody. He was willing to sacrifice what he possessed, in order for the work of the Lord to move forward and for lives to be forever changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not going to stay on this long, but we need to make sure that the work of the Lord is more important to us than the stuff we say we possess. Come on, don't get quiet on me now. Because sometimes in order to see the miraculous as God would have us to see it, we first must become willing to allow some of our stuff to be removed. How many know when we release our possessions to missions, when we release our possession to kingdom investment, when we release our possession sacrificially as God moves upon our hearts, I may know many times that equates to the miraculous being made possible in lives and hearts of people that we might not even know. This was a stranger to Peter, but he said, I'm I'm willing to let go of my possessions so that a stranger can have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Somebody said amen. Amen. Was Peter's roof replaced? Absolutely. We don't know how, but I'm sure he didn't keep going with a hole in his roof. I'm sure it was replaced. Will our stuff be replaced? Absolutely. In some form. It may not be exactly what you gave, but it will be replaced in some form. And it will be replaced in some fashion. Come on, somebody. If we're willing to fulfill the great commission, want to know why? Because God keeps great records. Somebody needs to hear the preacher right now. If God ever asks you to sacrifice something for the mission, sacrifice something for the vision, sacrifice something for his kingdom purpose, let me tell you, he kept very good records of when you said yes and you relinquished your possession to fulfill his purpose. And he's never, he's never going to out allow you to outgive him. Can I get an amen in the house? I said he's never going to allow you to outgive him. He's always going to outgive you if you'll do what he tells you to do. I'm here to tell you the windows of heaven are going to be opened in some form, in some fashion. It may not be monetarily, but it may be. It may be health. It may be wisdom. It may be kids that are safe. Whatever it is, but I'm telling you the windows of heaven are going to be open and he's going to pour out blessings. I wish I could get some help in. In the house now that have tried the Lord and you know he's been faithful to you and you know he kept good records and you know that when you sacrificed for kingdom purposes he restored back to you greater fold than anything you ever had to relinquish come on if you believe that put your hands together and give God praise Church, let me just tell you this. We gotta keep in mind. There is no apostolic revival without apostolic sacrifice. It is impossible to have apostolic. If we're going to be apostolic, we can't pick and choose what part of apostolic we want to be. If we're going to be apostolic, we got to be apostolic through and through. We can't just be apostolic when it comes to the miracles and apostolic when it comes to the tongue talking. we got to be apostolic when it comes to giving and sacrifice. we got to become apostolic when it comes to everything. Come on, thank God for those that are willing to let go of what we possess if the Lord requests it, so that the work of the Lord can be accomplished and the vision can move forward. Come on, how many know there's nothing that we might ever possess that is more valuable than a soul being saved and the kingdom of God advancing? I said, there's nothing that we may possess that is more valuable than the kingdom moving forward. Jesus. Somebody said amen. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. But now, secondly, secondly, it, it's, it's good for us, and I want to encourage you with this. It's good for you when you read a story in Scripture Say so don't just read it, but think about think about it from a human perspective. Put yourself into the story. What would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? Because more than likely, if you're feeling it and thinking it, they were feeling it and thinking it. So I want us to look now at it from the perspective of the friends. Now remember, we can read this story in just a couple of minutes, right? I mean, just a couple of verses. You can read the story, 30 seconds. And you've read the complete story from start to finish. It's done. And we shout about the miracle. Because what is recorded was just the facts of the story. But, Brother Rima, I would have loved to just been close to those guys when they're having this conversation. I believe it's quite possible that, as I said, They had got there. They had originally gotten there. They tried to push their way through the crowd, but there's four of them, this unyieldy uh, cot-like thing, and and nobody's letting them through. Nobody's letting them to get into the house, and so they back back out. I kind of picture them out on the front lawn, and they're having a conversation. What are we going to do? How are we going to get in there? Nobody's going to let us in, so what are we going to do? And they begin to throw out ideas, and they begin to make suggestions. And maybe one guy said, "Well, maybe we could just wait till after the service is over." Everybody's left. Jesus is probably still going to be here. Maybe we can talk to him at that point." Then another guy pipes up maybe and says, "Well, maybe we can send a note in and have somebody pass it up to Jesus, and maybe Jesus will come out here and talk with us and pray for our friend." Ah uh, maybe, I don't know. That'll work or not. Maybe we can just have, maybe, you know, we're we're a distant kind of faith. We're we're, we're close enough. Maybe we can just have a distant faith and, and that our friend will be healed without ever having Jesus have to touch him. Maybe, you know, we're just close enough. Maybe, but we came all this way. And then I just picture it. Now, this is just me. But I picture, Sister Morgan, that there's one of the friends who hasn't said a word. He's just, he's just, now this isn't in the Bible, right? This is just me. He hasn't said a word. And all these guys are throwing out these ideas, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he hasn't said a word. And then all of a sudden he goes, hey, let's rip the roof off. What? Let's rip the roof off the house. Listen, we know the story. Can you imagine? Who thinks about ripping a roof off? Let's rip the roof off and lower the friend down. I'm here to tell somebody that's radical faith. That that's at at any cost. I've got to get where Jesus is, kind of faith. That—that's a, I don't want to live with this problem one more day, so I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to get my miracle, kind of faith. Come on, somebody. Others might not like it, but I got to get to Jesus. Others might not agree, but I've got to get to Jesus. Others might not have the same kind of passion that I have right now, but you don't know my story. I've got to get to Jesus. I'm here to tell somebody we need some folks in the house that will have a radical kind of faith. If you need a miracle from the Lord, you don't allow anything. Don't allow anybody to keep you from everything God's promised to you. Come on, I'm here to tell somebody we need a radical kind of faith that will begin to believe that God really can do all things, not some things, not just things for other people, but he can do all things in my life, in my context, in my story. We need some people with radical faith that will really begin to believe that there is not anything too hard for God. Woo. I need some more monitor, please. Come on. Is there anybody in the house that can have a radical faith to believe the word of the Lord when it says that with man it is impossible, but not with God? For with God, all, somebody shout all, somebody shout out! All. all things are possible Your problem is encapsulated in the all. Your sickness is in the all. Your pain is in the all. Your disease is in the all. Your dysfunction is in the all. Your division is in the all. All things are possible. It doesn't matter what you've walked in here with. It doesn't matter how bad it hurts. It doesn't matter the division, the pain. It doesn't matter the tears. It doesn't matter the suffering. With God, all things are possible. Somebody needs to have a radical faith in this house right now to believe that God is able to do what he said he can do. I'm going to put my faith on the word of the Lord. I'm not going to put my faith in what hasn't happened in my past. I'm going to put my faith on the word of the Lord, and I'm going to believe what the book says. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. Give him praise in the house. Come on, is there anybody that can believe for a miracle today? Is there anybody that can believe for a breakthrough today? It don't matter how long you've had the pain. Is there anybody that can believe for a miracle in your body today? Come on, I feel faith in this house right now. I said, I feel faith in this house right now. I feel faith in this house right now. Now, those that are praying, just keep praying, but hear me. Now, hear me. Think through this with me. Think through this. You got these four guys One guy Possibly Has the suggestion Radical suggestion To rip The roof off But here's the deal All of them Had to be in agreement If it was going to work It might have just been one guy's idea. But he needed some people to come into agreement with him if it was going to become possible. My Bible says this in Matthew 18 and 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything uh, that they shall ask, uh, it uh, shall be done. The word of the Lord is showing us that there is great power in agreement. Man, I feel this so strong. If somebody's in the house today and they desire to exemplify great faith, we don't need to caution them. Well, that's good that you believe that, but you know, just don't get your hopes up too high. Because we just don't really know what God is going to do and sometimes he does it, and sometimes he doesn't. I just don't want you to be disappointed. They we don't need to hear that. If somebody's got radical faith, we're going to rip the roof off this house and our friends going to be healed. Listen, even if you don't have the same level of faith they have, don't stop their faith. Don't speak negative against their faith. Even if you don't have it, why don't you just connect with them and say, hey, if you believe it, then I believe it. If you think it's going to happen, then I think it's going to happen. Now, if you believe the miracle's going to happen, then I believe it's going to happen. I'm going to come into agreement with you, and I'm going to believe that God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Jesus Come on, we need an agreement in this place right now. I said, we need an agreement in this house right now. God, you're going to do miracles today. Signs, wonders, and miracles are going to be released into this house today. Lives are going to be forever changed by your power today. Come on. We don't need anybody to say, well, we'll just take the wait and see approach. Well, we'll just sit here and wait and see what God does. No, we need somebody that will come into agreement. All right. All right. All right. Quickly, you may be seated. Just keep praying if you're praying. Just, just listen. Because this leads me to the next point, and this is really the kind of the, the whole thing that captured my attention with the story. Because here we have, we, we, we see these, these individuals. They tore the roof off. They lowered their friend down. Jesus has forgiven the man of his sins. Let me just pause for a moment and say the greatest miracle that happened was not that he was healed physically. The greatest miracle that happened was his sins were washed away and forgiven. You may be here today and you need a physical miracle. But the greatest miracle is when your sins are dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, if you'll be obedient to the word of the Lord and repent of your sins, God will forgive you of your sins. And if you'll be baptized in Jesus' name, God will wash those sins away. And then you are a candidate to be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the greatest miracle that could ever happen. So we see here, now watch. So he he does this, and he he forgives the man. But now watch, Mark chapter 2, verse 6, we pick the story back up. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak? Blasphemy, speaking about Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven, or to say arise and take up thy bed and walk. He said it's no harder for me to forgive the man of his sins than it is for me to heal him physically. Why? Because I'm God, he says. There's not anything too hard for God to do or harder for God to do. But that you may, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy. I say unto thee, arise and take up your bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately the man that was paralyzed on the cot that they had lowered down in front of Jesus, immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and they all glorified God. Saying, we never saw this kind of stuff before. Now listen, that is an amazing story. And that it is wonderful. And I'm so thankful for the miracle of this guy. And yet the question that I had, Brother Tim, about this story is we need to remember the house was packed with hurting, broken people. The courtyard was packed with people that needed a miracle. And yet, only one person out of a packed house received a miracle. Everybody else was like, we had good church. But they went home the same way they came. Everybody else said, I've never seen this. I've never experienced this kind of thing before. But they went home the same way they came. Now, this is what I found so interesting because in contrast to this service in Mark 2, there was another service that happened in the same house. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14 And when Jesus was come into whose house? Same house. He saw his wife's mother, Peter's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, laid sick of the fever. And Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. And when the evening came, so what happens? This woman receives a miracle. No doubt word starts spreading that the miracle worker's back at Peter's house, and he's already done one miracle. Come on now. And so word starts spreading, verse 16, so that when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed I'm going to say all. Two different services taking place in the same house. One service, multiple people received healings. The other service, one. There was no difference in the amount of people who were there. It was the same Jesus in the room. The same one doing the healing was in both services. Same house, same crowd, same needs, same problems, same Jesus. So what caused the difference in these two services? I believe the answer to that question is found in our text. Come on, Jesus, we need you now. When we read this, Again, Mark 2 and 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Who is this Jesus? Can't he really do what he said he can do? I don't think he can do what he said he can do. It has not been our experience that he is who he says he is. I want you to notice This small group of people, these friends, how many know they had radical faith? Ripped the roof off, lowered him down. But that faith did not spread throughout the room because of the reasoning and the doubting of the scribes. Because what you have to understand is the scribes were the ones who would write concerning the law. Or concerning the word of the Lord as they knew it at that time. So they should have been the most spiritual. Come on, stay with me. They should have been the most, most faith-filled people in the room. And... Because of their position, you got to understand, think with me, because of their position as the spiritual people, because of their reputation as the people who write about the word of the Lord, I am sure the rest of the crowd took their cues on how to respond from the spiritual people. Man, we don't know nothing about this. But those people are supposed to know all about this. So we will watch and see what they do. Jesus. And the Bible says that when they looked over to see what the spiritual people were doing, the spiritual people were doing this. What do you think? I don't think he can do this. This isn't what he's supposed to do. He's not who he claims to be. I don't think he has the power to. What are you? Know, he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the ability. A guy was paralyzed. Now, I, I don't, again, this is just a little conjecture on my part, but I believe, Brother Rima, when it says that they were sitting there, I don't believe that, that it, it was mentioned and written in scripture that they were sitting if everybody else was sitting. If everybody was sitting, why record that they were sitting? I got a feeling that when this man who was paralyzed was healed, you got to know the man that's paralyzed, he's probably worshiping, right? Their friends who exemplified radical faith, man, they were praising God and worshiping God. And I just got a feeling that everybody else in the room was standing and clapping and worshiping, however they would do it, but the scribes were... The spiritual people were just sitting. <sighs> Can I let me just let me just pastor for a moment? When there's a powerful move of God in the house, and everybody's worshiping and dancing and shouting, don't just sit there. Come on, there's something wrong. Now, listen, if you're physically unable, I get that, or you know, if you're you know, if you're just so overwhelmed by his presence. I'm not saying you have to stand and do what everybody else is doing. If you're overwhelmed by his presence in your seat, that's fine. But man, when the presence of God is moving and when the power of the Lord is moving, don't just sit there. It's getting quiet now. And here's why. We need to take notice of the fact when those who were supposed to be followers of Christ Didn't release faith, but only doubt and unbelief. It had a spiritually negative effect on the entire room. So much so that it caused multiple people to miss their miracle. I wonder how many times a glimmer of faith is released in this room with which if fed and if added to and if agreed with would release a tremendous, miraculous moment. But because of the reasoning and the doubting and the unbelief and the unconcern. And the sitting of some church folk. Well, I've had I've had the Holy Ghost for 30 years. Well, why are you sitting there staring? Come on, now I'm a pastor now. If you've had the Holy Ghost for 30 years, why aren't you being moved by the presence of Almighty God? If you've had the Holy Ghost, as long as you said you had the Holy Ghost, why are you content to just sit there and watch everybody else worship and pray and be moved on by the Holy Ghost? Here's what I felt the Lord speak to me yesterday as I was pondering all of this. You have to understand, if you are a saint of God, you have to understand that your idea of or attitude of doubt or unbelief or unconcern, and I'm here, you know, everybody else is praying, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm not really going to engage. I'm just going to kind of chill, just sit here and just watch. You have to understand that does not just affect you. See, I think some people have, are believing a lie from the an enemy that says, you know what, I can just sit here and I can just stand on the altar and I can just sit in the back and I can just watch because, you know, my wife will do the work or my husband will do the work or somebody else in the house will release faith. And, and, and because they're willing to do it, then I don't have to do it. But what you, and, and what you think is that it only is affecting you. But you have to understand that it's not just affecting you, it's affecting the atmosphere in the room. And could it be that because of our unwillingness to pursue and to come into agreement with the faith that is in the house, by our worship and by our Praise and by us connecting our faith with that faith and going after the things of God, could it be that the atmosphere in the room isn't what it's supposed to get to? And because of that, people leave the same way they came. Oh, they might leave saying, Man, that was a great church. Man, I've never seen it like that before. I've never seen people talk in tongues. I've never seen people jump. I've never seen a church that loud. I've never seen. That's fine. They can leave thinking that way. But what if they leave the same way they came? Come on, somebody. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. I'm almost done. But church, this is so burdensome to me today. So burdensome to me today. We need to understand as believers we have a responsibility when we come together and who we are when we get here is determined by who we are when we're not here. Tweet that. The kind of anointing and power and unction and virtue that we have when we're in this altar has nothing to do with who we are in this altar. It has everything to do with what we did Monday and Tuesday and... we need to understand we have a responsibility resting upon us when we gather together we need to live our lives as such so that when we get here there is a connection in the spirit realm faith, connecting to faith response to the things of God response to the word of the Lord Come on. Ooh. Response. Come on. I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to be good right now. There's got to be something within us that says uh, this is more than just a Sunday. This is more. Listen. Listen. If you're a saint of God, more than likely you're going to be here next Sunday. I've been going for 30 years. If the Lord doesn't tarry, I'll be, or if the Lord tarries, I'll be there next Sunday too. But guess what? That same can be said for everybody in the room. There might be somebody here for the first time that may not be back and may go to hell if we don't create an atmosphere for their lives to be forever changed By the power of the Holy Ghost. God forbid that we just sit just a Sunday. Ah, music was a little loud. Preacher didn't preach real good today. Preacher preached too long today. I didn't like that song. Too fast, too slow. It's too hot. It's too cold. Why can't they get it right? Why are they always adjusting everything? Why? Because we're going to be back here next Sunday but that person might not be back here. We have to live our lives in such a way that says we may have one shot with a soul. So when they are here, we need to be connecting with the Spirit. We need to be engaging with the Spirit. We need to be allowing faith to connect with faith. We can't just, even right now as I preach, some of you are just staring at me. Hear me. We can't just sit there and not amen the Word of the Lord and connect with the Word of the Lord and not come into agreement. It makes a difference in the atmosphere. Somebody stand to your feet right now and give God praise. Listen, listen, well... Preacher preacher always wants me to amen, and you know, the preacher needs me to say amen or else he he can't preach, and he needs me to clap, and he needs me to stand. I don't need it. Now, it's helpful, but I don't need it. Why do we respond? Why do we say amen? Why do we clap? Why do we stand? Why do we do that? We are helping to create an atmosphere where our spirits are connecting with the word. Our hearts are connecting with the word. Our faith is connecting with those in the room that are also connecting with the word. And all of a sudden, this atmosphere, this apostolic atmosphere begins to grow and it gets bigger and it gets more powerful and it gets more spiritually vibrant and that's when a, a somebody in the house that needs a miracle that needs salvation that's when they don't just leave saying that was a good church but they leave saying my life was forever changed so here's the deal and I'm done here's the deal I believe miracles are gonna happen today. I believe lives are gonna be changed today. I believe addicts are gonna be delivered today. I believe salvation is gonna flow today. I believe sins are gonna be forgiven today. Come on. Look at yourself right now. Are you connecting with the word? Are you connecting with the preaching? Or are you staring at me? I believe lives are going to be forever changed today. Come on, heaven is watching how you respond to the word. Hell is watching how you respond to the word. The spirit realm takes notice of how we respond to the presence of the Lord. Come on, lift your hands, lift your voices right now. Come on somebody help me. Create an atmosphere. Release radical faith, release radical faith, release radical faith, release radical faith. I believe, 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 I believe.